0: Welcome to Canada's podcast. Hi, this is Angela Fay from Canada's podcast and founder of Futureville. Well, this is an interesting time, and I wanted to highlight that Acutus Therapeutics is a Vancouver based biotech company that developed the nanotechnology that enables the Pfizer and Moderna vaccines to work. Imagine where we'd be without that technology. Well, in a similar fashion, nanotechnology is used in farming to ferry critical elements to the parts of plants that allow them to take their effect. Until recently, many farmers were using 30-year-old technology when they applied pesticides. And today, farmers and farm operators are using precision chemistry to help with the delivery of chemicals and biological agents to boost efficiency in farms. There's still problems for crop production. The big challenge is also about getting the active ingredients stable and capable of working on the correct part of the plant. This is the problem that ViveCrop is solving. So getting more of what the plants need and helping farms become more efficient. Today, we're talking with Darren Anderson about the application of nanotech in agriculture. Welcome, Darren. Darren, you're the CEO of ViveCrop. Welcome to Canada's podcast.
1: I am happy to be here. Thank you for having me.
0: Well, as a starting point. I mean, you know, what's your entrepreneurial journey? How did you get started in nanotechnology?
1: It's funny that you ask that. So (laughs) I remember talking to one of my mentors early on. This is probably after we'd started the company. We'd been going for four or five years. And uh, I remember saying to her, you know, I, I never really thought I would be an entrepreneur. And she said, What do you mean? I was convinced you'd be an entrepreneur the entire time. This was my PhD (laughs) supervisor. And. You know, I grew up in an entrepreneurial family. My mother was an entrepreneur um, and I definitely, growing up, I always started things. When I was in college, I started a group of scientists that were interested in in building connections amongst the various science disciplines of physicists with biologists and that type of thing. And when I finished my undergraduate degree, I started a, a tutoring business that was quite successful and really enjoyed that. Um, but I never thought I would be doing this for a career. And then I did my PhD at the University of Toronto, and we developed the technology that eventually came, turned into Vive Crop Protection and really convinced ourselves as we were going through uh, development of that technology, that was something that had could have a real impact. And uh, so we we decided to spin the company off. And I remember at the time thinking, well, 95% of startups fail, but I'll get more experience doing this for a couple of years than I would be if I, you know, went and worked for a big pharma company for a couple of years. And Vive turns 15 next week. So wow. um, it, it's amazing how time flies. But, uh, but that was, yeah, that was how it all got started.
0: Well, and I had no idea it was 15 years old already. It, it feels like like it's brand new technology. And uh, and you and I spent quite a bit of time when first meeting each other on the whole entire workflow, which uh, we're not going to spend a lot of time on that today. But can you just give me a sound bite on what your technology means for farmers a- a- and also ultimately for consumers?
1: Sure. So um, farmers need pesticides in order to be able to produce food uh, effectively. Um, Diseases, insects, weeds, they they can be a huge yield robber. And one of the biggest challenges with pesticides is you want them to be able to be used very precisely. You want them to be able to be used at the right place, at the right time, with the right product, at the right rate, in order for them to be as effective as possible and for growers to be productive and for them to have um uh the most the the most efficient use and, and the best profile from a sustainability perspective. But the technologies that are being used to deliver these pesticides are really old. Um nothing new has been under the sun in a long time. And so what we've done is we've used nanotechnology, those same kinds of delivery technologies that as you mentioned earlier are used in the Pfizer and Moderna vaccines to help control how these pesticides work in order to help them be at the right place at the right time at the right rate. And what that does is it increases the yields that farmers get. It increases the quality of their, their crops that they harvest. It decreases the water that they use, decreases the diesel fuel that they use. Um, so it ultimately, it, it improves the performance of the products increase, and increases the sustainability of the products at the same time.
0: And how would you uh, address you know, maybe the consumer's fear or concern about using pesticides at all, right? There seems to have been this movement towards organic and local farming, but as a farmer's daughter, you know, it's always been my dad's kind of position that all great, but we just would not be able to feed the population with a little bit of organic growth in the backyard. So how do you deal with the perception, at least, of the dangers of pesticides?
1: Yeah. So you're bang on. Uh, so the the conventional market today, depending on how you count it, is 95% or more of the world production of food. And ultimately, because of exactly what you laid out, which is that conventional chemical pesticides are just a more effective solution, um, you're just you're not going to see organic. Take off to the point where it's twenty or thirty percent of the global market. At least not with the tools that are available today. But if you can improve the performance of those products that growers have been using for a long time and improve their sustainability profile, then you can make a really big difference to that very large part of the market that's really important to um, to do more with less in versus just focusing on the organic piece. Right. Um, now we, we do develop products that, that in the long run are going to unlock a lot of the potential for organic regenerative agriculture. And that's actually a major focus of our business as well. But I think it's really important that, um, that we focus on the existing tools and, and changing existing agricultural practices for the mm-hmm. better uh, versus just focusing on, on that organic piece.
0: So that's a whole nother podcast, and I'm earmarking that we're going to do one in the future about this regenerative agriculture, you know, that pathway, but focusing on doing more with what we've got. Uh, What plants Mm -hmm. are you, are you, do you have product for right now?
1: So our products are used on a pretty broad cross-section of crops, uh, mostly large field crops. Um, our key crops are sugar beets, potato. So sugar beets are actually a crop, probably most of your listeners don't know of, but they 50% of the sugar or so that we get in North America comes from sugar beets. Um, and it's also the, the molasses that comes from sugar beets is also used to treat roadways and, and that type of thing. But sugar beets are a major crop, potatoes, corn, soybeans, and alfalfa are, are our major crops today.
0: Okay, I'm just gonna. So, sugar beets, potatoes, corn, corn soybean, and alfalfa. So, okay. And where are you working mostly at this point? Where have you launched and been most productive in the last fifteen years?
1: So we we sell into the U.S. Uh, primarily okay. in the Upper Midwest, so Minnesota, North Dakota. Um, and and the major corn producing states, um, but um, we do expect to be launching our first products here in Canada within the next twelve months.
0: That's very exciting. And what plants?
1: So in Canada, we're going to be starting with potatoes.
0: Sweet. So I was th- I'm totally envisioning Eastern Canada then with <laughs> the McCain family and you know the the chips and everything that we've got. But will will it be across the board across Canada?
1: Yeah, so there are some significant potato markets out west as well, and we will be selling there. And we do plan to extend from potatoes into those other crops that I mentioned that we're currently selling into in the US. Um, It's just a question of building out our market a little bit at a time here.
0: And we talked a little bit about building out out that market, um, which I think is important, even just to understand how much behind the scenes of the infrastructure set up and the partnerships and the relationships that you've developed over time. Could you just give me an idea from manufacturing in your manufacturing plant to getting to the hands of the farmers? What what does that system look like?
1: So it's funny because earlier when I mentioned that we turned 15, you were shocked. And this is one of the reasons why we're 15. Um, You know, When you're working in an industry like agriculture, there's a lot of things that you need to think about and you need to be able to address in order to really be commercially successful. Um, And that goes all the way from the research and development piece. So developing these products, Mm -hmm. which involves lab work and then field testing. You want to make sure that the products are going to work. Uh, As soon as they go onto the farm, because as a farmer's daughter, you know, you know, a farmer only gets one kick at the can every year. Right. And maybe over the course of their lifetime, they're only going to get to run 30 or 40 experiments. So they wanna make sure that the product's gonna work right away. So there's a lot of research that goes into developing these products. Mm -hmm. Um, Then once they've been developed, there's a lot of work that goes into uh, ensuring that they're gonna be able to be used safely and having the regulatory bodies in Canada and the US review that and and assess whether or not they can be used safely. Um, And then once you've done that, then you get to the point where you're, you're now looking to sell products. And in our case, the way that we do that is we have our own Secret sauce that that goes into these products that that makes them more effective and makes them more targeted and makes them more precise. And so we manufacture that here in um, in the Toronto area. We then ship that to a manufacturer that will basically combine it with the pesticide to make the the new and improved, more targeted, more sustainable version. Then that's bottled. Then it's sold through distribution to a co-op, and then a grower picks it up and then they'll they'll apply it on their farm. And again, you know, all of that needs to be seamless in order for uh for for our growers to to have a successful outcome. And I think sometimes, you know, we're we're so used to technology entrepreneurs where none of that infrastructure is necessary because yes. you're not making anything physical. And it is a very different different model, and it uh, I mean it's it's in my it, one of the things I love about it is that we're building something real, building something tangible, but mm-hmm. it does have a lot more pieces to it than in a traditional technology company
0: so you are one of the disruptors or I guess mm-hmm. aggregates, right? using your technology makes things better and more productive, yep. which I love. do you are there any? uh technologies or disruptions happening in agriculture in in your experience that are either aiding and abetting you or that are are on the horizon that uh that others in the egg egg tech sector should be aware of yeah,
1: so it's really interesting that you asked that. So one of the things that I'm the most excited about if we think about agriculture 20 years from now is how different innovations that are currently kind of growing up separately can build on one another in order to just transform the industry. And I'll give you a specific example that that applies to our products. So there's a lot of companies now that are developing um, what I would describe as kind of the personalized medicine for the farm. So they, you know, they'll they do okay. an aerial, uh, send a drone and look at the farm and they'll say, okay, based on what we're seeing, this farm needs these products in these locations. And then there's all these innovations around, you know, how do you precisely apply that? So maybe products are being applied by drone so that they're only being applied where they need to go or
0: something okay. like that.
1: And then what you want ideally is the precise chemistry, the, the jug that the farmer buys to have a technology built into it. That helps that product also be as targeted as possible. And so if you think about the personalized medicine, that prescription on the field level combined with the, the, the hardware, that make sure that it's able to be applied, combined with our product, the software that's being run on that product, or run on that application system, you combine those three, can be just absolutely transformative. And currently those three sets of innovations Mm -hmm. are all being deployed separately, but you can really see how they can start to add on to one another and and really accelerate progress.
0: Now, I was approached and found out about Five through the Mars Discovery Center, right? So I, I just want to tap into that because I, Um, one, I was super excited to hear about the product. I'm also curious about that converging, right? The convergence of those technologies and where is that going to happen? What opportunities and platforms and discussions or places are you a part of that, where some of those uh, convergences will happen?
1: So Mars is really interesting. and There's a few of these kinds of programs that have started to to happen in Canada, and I think they're really important. If you think about growing a, a business, there's a ton of information out there about how you start a business, right? Like, how do you get your first board? How do you get your seed funding? You know, how do you think about product market fit? But there's almost nothing available that really teaches you how to scale a business, right? Like, how that's do you true. get and, and and but those scale ups are going to be an incredibly important part of Canada's future economic success. That's where the jobs are. That's where the tax uh, uh, tax return. Like, that's that's how we we. Uh, build a, a successful economy going forward. And so the the portion of Mars that we've been involved in is their Momentum program. And that's really about providing mentorship and training tools to help companies scale. And, and there's another program that we have participated in that's very similar called the Lazarita Scale Up program. And it provides entrepreneurs, most of whom, myself included, have never scaled a business before right. with the tools that you need in order to be able to think about how to do that effectively. Um, and one of the other things that both groups have really encouraged us to do is is think big. You know, in Canada, sometimes we we settle for a single instead of swinging for the home run, um, right. and I think that's a shame. And you know, one of the things that we've started to look at in our space is okay, you know, we've got products that are are selling today. We've got growers that absolutely love what we're doing. You know, what can we start to bring in to build out that platform, right? Mm-hmm. You know, whether that's through MA or in licensing or partnerships, how do we do that in a way that that really builds an incredibly exciting success story that has a real impact on growers' lives, um, and you know, eventually is is you know, is is a really important egg tech company based here in Canada. And how do you do that? And I think these organizations like Mars, like the Lazaridis program. Ah, uh, do a really effective job of challenging Canadian entrepreneurs to really think big, um, and and really go for the gold ring.
0: I love it. Well, clearly you think big, and I'm going to come back to that in a moment as far as what the what the big end goal is. But one question I have in the in that scale up, what what did you learn uh, that is maybe specific to Canada? Do you believe that Canadians have a, a global competitive edge in the sector that you're in? And if so, why? And if, why not? If, if that's the case.
1: So, there, so ag, so yes, I, I think that Canada has some enormous advantages in agriculture compared to most other countries. Um, one reason is, I mean, for most startups, you look at the US first because the US is 10 times the size of the Canadian market. Um, In in ag and ag tech, it's only three times difference. Like Canada punches above its weight. We have a huge agricultural sector. And so there's a real opportunity for homegrown innovations to have a real impact on on Canadian farmers. Um, The second piece is that it it may, you know, it's funny. It's something that I talk to companies, global companies all the time. Canada is an incredibly efficient place to uh, conduct research and development. Um, you know our shred program is um, you know incredibly useful to early stage companies in terms of helping uh, get more for every dollar that's being invested in in R and D. Um, there's a, a number of government programs that really help encourage collaboration and commercialization of early stage technologies. Um, and the uh, university infrastructure we have is incredible. Like there, right. there are incredible researchers here who are honestly under engaged compared to, you know, similar quality researchers at, at US schools. And so I think that that, provide, that combined with the fact that Canada punches above its weight from an ag point of view, um, creates a, a real competitive advantage to starting an ag company here. And you, you're starting to see more and more uh, ag or ag tech companies based here in Canada farmer's edge is is one that's based uh, at west and and they uh, they just went public last week on the t s x had a very successful ipo and and are off to the races with a um uh, with a um a platform on on sensing and and agronomic recommendations
0: what what is the big picture? i mean was something that blew me away a little bit as i'm looking at your website and things like that was literally the list of uh, you know, this is your crop, and the ma- the drop down menu was massive. And then, you know, here's the results that you're trying to achieve. And in a very short period of time, I realized that there was all of these combination of just Vive Crop products, a- and I just went, I'm not producing alfalfa or corn. You know, we were, we were classic grain, rye, wheat farm growing up. But what is the big? What is the big picture for for Vive?
1: So our technology can make a more higher performing and more sustainable version of almost every pesticide that a grower uses today. Um, And so that's the goal, is to be able to develop improved versions of every product that a grower uses, obviously a little bit at a time. And on top of that, we mentioned organic earlier. So there's starting to be more and more interest in uh, using uh, naturally derived products in in crop protection. Some of those are used in organic, some of those are used in non-organic farming as well. and one of the big challenges, if you're using like a microbe, like a bacteria to help protect your farm is um, keeping that bacteria alive long enough for it to be able to get into the roots and help the plant uh, capture nitrogen from the soil or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a that's a real technology challenge that we've also managed to solve. So in addition to being able to develop better and more sustainable versions of, of Products that are currently used today, we can also do the same with uh, and unlock the potential of these biological systems, which we're really excited about. So ultimately, it's all about doing more with less. But the sky's the limit in terms of what we can what we can impact.
0: Well, we talked about the technology of of thirty years in pesticides. I you know I have these very keen and and succinct memories of those that had farms. Right, it was kind of this um it was a privilege first of all to to have a farm and but the the risk to return ratio was very high right with mm-hmm. weather pattern changes but also i mean the tractors and the combines and the and the barns and the big grain trucks and you know the amount of infrastructure that a farmer had to invest in up front to produce a yield subject to weather was huge so you know it i guess In some ways, most farmers are entrepreneurs because there's just so much risk capital up front. Mm -hmm. Do you see in the future of of agriculture 20 years down the road with, you know, some of the the other pathway of regenerative or do you see a uh, that shift happening where there'll be less risk up front, but more yield and maybe different products down the track? What if you could future... Future scope, what what do you see?
1: So, I think the answer is there's enough innovation happening now that there are going to be more options available for um, different types of of growers, different types of farmers. And what I mean by that is, you know, if you think about somebody today that wants to take a, um, you know, highly regenerative, highly organic approach to producing food, and, you know, they're going to have a Fifty-acre farm, not far from a city, and and primarily do um, you know CSAs or farmers markets or those kinds of things. They have a very limited tool set that's available to right. them um, in order for them to be able to get the kinds of yields that they need, and so therefore they they have the same challenges that you're talking about, where their profitability is right. D- you know, it's knife edge in a lot of cases, Mm -hmm. but with the amount of innovation that's going into um, ag and ag tech right now, that grower in 20 years is going to have a lot more options available to them. Uh, They're going to have the kinds of options that we enable. They're going to have the options that um, new biologicals companies are coming out with new products that may be organic certified. They're also going to have new options that are going to be available to them where they, you know, maybe they are using, you know, drones that, you know, go out and just spray a little part where they right. they notice that there's a disease there, and at the same time, the large farms are also going to have more options available to them right where it's more precise in terms of how they're how they're applying products and and the amount of inputs that they need and you know there's companies that are developing biologicals that will help crops produce their own nitrogen so that you don't need to apply as much fertilizer. And I do think that those tools are going to help with the profitability profile of some of those large farms that having been said, you know, I do think that uh, farm consolidation is almost certainly going to continue right. because there are some real advantages. Some of these innovations do require some significant investment or are extremely capital intensive and the farmers that are able to get to a scale where they can use those kinds of tools are gonna have a competitive advantage. And I I do think that's part of where the consolidation in this space has been coming from.
0: Well, and I am totally imagining maybe planting a seed or hopefully it's already a seed in your mind, but I'm imagining like a a, a pilot project regenerative farm, Mm -hmm. sponsored by Vive, right? Mm -hmm. Like it's, and other partners where we go, well, this is a demo, maybe more than a field, probably, you know, 50 acres, and, and this can be reproduced in different areas with a different crop, something like mm-hmm. that. I, I think that would be amazing.
1: Yeah. And, and there's, a, there's a ton of things that, that growers are already doing where those kinds of demonstrations are, are pretty straightforward. I mean, you know, one of the things that I think a lot of the general public doesn't understand is how transformative no-till farming was. Um, and no-till farming for for your audience that doesn't know is the idea that after you harvest say a crop of corn you leave all the corn stalks on the on the field um, right. and, and the reason that that's important is because then those corn stalks degrade and so they provide um, food fertil- effectively free fertilizer or food to the soil mm-hmm. but they also help cover the soil to prevent it from blowing away if there's Um, you know, in the winter or if it's windy or from rain or that type of thing. And so it dramatically reduces erosion. And it's an incredibly important innovation that's developed in agriculture over the last 30 or 40 years that people just don't even know about. And it's a, you know, there are things like that, there are cover crop systems. There's so much um, incredible innovation happening in agriculture that um, has an impact on climate, has an impact on sustainability, Mm -hmm. has an impact on soil quality, has that regenerative characteristic um, that I, I actually, you know, going back to your point about you know that demo farm, I think you know for a lot of urban consumers, I think that's really fun to to be able to go see. Um, and there's also, and I, I know I'm going off in a bit of a tangent, and this is a bit of a, a soapbox for me, but <laughs> there's also there's also a lot more innovation that's going on in in terms of being able to communicate to the consumer yes. how how products are being produced yes, and, and what totally. kind of practices are going into it because. I mean the organic certified organic is is the only label we have right now that tells you anything really in detail about the farming practices that are used mm-hmm. but you know you don't necessarily know hey is this being grown no till as i mentioned earlier or yes. you know are you using cover cropping systems and so with a lot of the uh, traceability innovations that are happening in this space which i haven't talked about at all that allows the consumer again not today but 10, 20 years from now, to be able to help influence those decisions that are made at the grower, grower level and, and effectively vote with their wallets. Yes. Um, and that can drive innovation as well.
0: Well, and I think that's really important. And I, I mean, I can add to that. One of my friends at the, at the co-working space here in Nanaimo, he, he had the technology for the microchips. Mm-hmm. And the idea was you place them on, you know, food, and at any point in the story from farm to table, you know, you could you could kind of take your phone and and check this app and see where it is and meet the farmers and have the story mm-hmm. and and say, hey, this is a vive crop, right? This was not used with those pesticides. And all of that is right at the consumer's touch point. Mm-hmm. And that's just a microchip. And it was something like, I don't know, it was crazy. It was like 12 cents a microchip to be mm-hmm. able to capture all of that. Mm-hmm. Would I, as a consumer pay 12 cents more to know where my food came from? Probably. And to the yep. point now where it's like, okay, I will start to look for that in consumers and I will start to look for, uh, and that's part of the fun for me is bringing awareness to these kind of technologies through a podcast is suddenly I want people to say, hey, I would like to know that my food is, is you know, five Crop supported and without as many damaging products as what's been used over the last 30 years that caused horrible things.
1: Yeah, so. it <laughs> and, and it creates it creates an opportunity for for companies like ours, but also, I mean, the, the big companies in this space are also doing some really innovative and unique things to improve the sustainability footprint of, of what they're currently selling or, or growers that are using their products. And it gives, in addition to giving consumers visibility, it also gives um producers or or people with technology like ours the ability to proactively push those stories out to the consumers and yes. and really build that connection which is i think one of the biggest things that's going to drive continued innovation in this space.
0: Well and I, I and I only going to ask because I live on an island and I am an island innovation ambassador so a lot of my clients are are island based but you primarily right now your product is for land based agriculture is that right? That's correct. A little bit of future in, in water based, is see that, that yeah? So so yeah. there are
1: some aquaculture applications okay. uh, for for what we're doing. Um, I mean, effectively, you know, if you're looking to deliver you know, whether it's bio-based or a conventional chemical-based product, if you're looking to deliver uh, deliver them more effectively, and, and again, you know, right product, right place, right time, right rate. If you're looking to be able to optimize that with a technology that's being built into the product, that's where we fit in. And right. you know, if you think about aquaculture, there are, you know, feeding applications, there are applications um, around pest control. It is a big problem um, in aquaculture that, again, I don't think most consumers are aware mm-hmm. of. Um, there's all sorts of opportunities to, um, provide, um, effectively like vitamins and other kind of stimulants that help, uh, um, help fish or, or, you know, if you're producing, you know, even if you're producing seaweed, there's applications there. So absolutely.
0: Darren, talk to me just for a moment about red tape. Mm-hmm. If we could wave a magic wand and eliminate some, what would be in your favor and what are what is a comfortable level of red tape, particularly in Canada now, or maybe in another country that you're looking at exporting in the future?
1: So the biggest thing that I would say is, um, it, it's funny. Um, so I'm on the board of CropLife America, and I think sometimes there's a perspective amongst consumers that, um, uh, you know, companies are are you know don't like the regulatory process or whatever. And in fact, it, it nothing can be further th- from the truth. Mm-hmm. It is incredibly important to us that consumers have faith in the regulatory process and know that they, when they're consuming produce that's being produced by our awesome Canadian farmers or our awesome U.S. farmers, that it's something that that they're going to be able to to consume safely. And it's incredibly important to me as a consumer and as you know somebody who's got a family. Like we, that's really really important. And so um, I think one of the awesome things about uh, North America is our regulatory systems in Canada and the U.S. are uh, the envy of the world. Um, you know, the rest of the world looks at it and and really um, in a lot of places, a lot of uh, a lot of other countries, they'll actually just rely on regulatory decisions that are made in Canada and the U.S. So those are, those are both really positive. The biggest challenge that I see from a red tape perspective is. Um, And I understand why this is the case, but regulatory um, uh, systems tend to by their nature be reactionary. So they wait for something new to come in before they figure out how they're going to deal (laughs) with that new thing. Right. And that that just slows down innovation because the new thing is gonna be brought to you by an innovative company like ours. And then we're gonna spend 12, 18, 24 months figuring out what we need to do and during that period (laughs) and and during that period there's no um you know we're not seeing the sustainability benefits we're not seeing the uh um the benefits from a farm perspective because Mm -hmm. we're we're just working our way through the process right um and i think it would be really useful for our regulatory agencies and i think this is true too if you think about Um, you know, some of our oil and gas regulation or what we do on the pharmaceutical side for our regulatory agencies to be a little bit more future facing and kind of be casting their eyes out and saying, all right, what's coming down the pipe? And let's try to provide some guidance to, those companies that are gonna be coming to us in two years so that they know what they should expect when they're coming in the door. Because that would dramatically improve the pace of innovation if you've got regulatory certainty. And that even has an impact on investors. You know, if you're raising money and there's a regulatory uncertainty that it can be very challenging. Whereas if you can go to an investor and you can say, hey, I've got this new innovation, this is how Health Canada as an example would look at it. This is what's going to be required. This is what it's going to cost and these are the risks. That's something that's a lot easier to assess than I have this new innovation and I have no idea how Health Canada is going to view it when we go in the door.
0: So I think that's an excellent segue into just sharing a little bit about Alex STEM because I see that almost (laughs) a bit of response to how to, you know, perhaps empower our regulatory systems with the expertise or the the even just the mindset shift. Right. That um, understanding that with exponential growth of technologies, we can really only predict one or two years down the track. But there there's a pattern to thinking that is in the mind and DNA of, you know, the stem sort of community. So sure, if you don't mind, a little bit of a little like stem, what are you up to there?
1: Sure. So this is a nonprofit uh, that I've set up on the side with uh, two other co-founders, Monica Stoller and and Chris Caputo. And the idea is to um, ensure that science is cross-partisan as much as possible by, and I'll define what I mean by cross-partisan in a minute, by uh, encouraging more scientists and engineers to run for public office. Um, and when I say cross-partisan, the idea is, I mean, everything's political, like you can't have a nonpartisan issue uh, in general, but the idea is that we want to make sure that the importance of science and engineering is baked into every political party mm-hmm. coast to coast at every level of government. And and we believe the best way to do that is to ensure that we have more scientists and engineers elected to public office, again, coast to coast, every political party and every level of government. And the reason we think that's important is exactly what you just described. It's because there are so many complex issues that we're struggling with as a society today that touch science in one way or another, that having more scientists um, in caucus at the cabinet uh, table, helping make uh, assessments or evaluate mm-hmm. pros and cons or think about risks or vision out what you know the country could be looking at in 10 or 15 years just elevates the quality of that debate and ensures that as a country we're making the best possible decisions. And it can also depoliticize some of the underlying science if you have that um, cohort of scientists in, in every political party because then, then the debates that we're having is are about, you know, what values are important to us and you know what trade-offs are we willing to make as a society, but you know it, it's it's that old line you can be entitled to your own opinions but you're not entitled to your own facts. Having more <laughs> scientists and engineers elected in every party helps ensure that you've got not perfectly, but you've got a little bit more alignment and agreement on the facts and instead you're talking about what to do about it.
0: How can we support VIVE in your growth as sort of media, as consumers, as uh, people with networks in different countries? What, What would be your big ask?
1: So the big thing for us over the next couple of years is going to be to continue to grow our business. Um, and international is, is definitely a major component of that. Uh, we're currently focused on the US. We're going to be coming to Canada. You know, If there are Canadian folks that are involved in Canadian agriculture that would be interested in uh, potentially talking to us about the products that we're planning to bring to market here, that would obviously be interesting. But we are looking for, for global partners and global connections that allow us to, as I mentioned earlier, make that impact uh, across the world. So that's really important to us. Yes. Um, You know, the consumer piece is something, again, it's not something that's gonna have an impact on our business today, but what I would encourage consumers to do when they're thinking about um, agriculture and supporting uh food that's produced in alignment with their values is i would encourage them to not just think about it in terms of the black and white you know we have organic or we have conventional mm-hmm. there's so much innovation going on in the non-organic side sector and i think a lot of that innovation is incredibly important for consumers to support um, and so i would encourage consumers if you're you know if you see a new label at the grocery store that talks about something that's grown with you know integrated pest management which is basically the idea that you keep a very close eye on your crop and you try to make sure that you're only applying a product when you know you have a specific problem that you're trying to address or you know uh, somebody you know a, a producer talks about the fact that they use cover cropping or no till very heavily in their their production support those kinds of buyers as well right. Because that non-organic segment is such a huge part of agriculture today, and you really want to support producers that are doing everything that they can to do more with less in that area. And, you know, that'll that'll have a trickle down effect on us because that's that's the part of the market that we're most intent on helping uh, helping improve, because that's 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 most of it today um, versus just working on that organic piece.
0: When Darren you and I talked about the possibility of doing a live stream event for where people can join us in a q and a live mm-hmm. with you and I can help facilitate uh, like i I just uh in our first introductory call, we talked so much about the pathway and how you know what's the market readiness for another um country to take advantage of of your product as a Canadian. You know, coming out of the Canadian system, having a perception and and reality that it's safe and and uh, knowing that they want to create higher yield for maybe more local sustainability in their crops. Mm -hmm. Those are the types of excitement, exciting things that I get excited about sharing Mm -hmm. with other nations. So uh, we talked about the possibility of doing that in a a couple of months. Uh, Beyond that, Darren, how can people get a hold of you and what what's the best, best way?
1: Sure. So uh, the website for Vive is www.vivecrop.com. Pretty easy to find. We're also on most of the social media sites. Uh, in terms of personally, the best way to reach me is probably on Twitter. Uh, okay. I'm at, at Darren J. Anderson uh, and relatively active. And uh, Vivecrop is at Vivecrop. And Alex STEM, for anybody who's interested in that, is at Alex STEM. And STEM is S T E M, just the way it
0: sounds. Perfect, so lots going on with you, Darren. It was such a pleasure to to have met you and I look forward to supporting the evolution of your growth over time.
1: Absolutely, thank you for having me.